All right. Hello. Hello, everybody. We're back once again on the Magic Hours podcast. I'm your host, as always, Jenny, and I'm here with my co-host, Justin. Hello. How you doing, Justin? I'm good. I was just enjoying the fortune read there for a second. <laughs> so we're coming to you again. We got an exciting <laughs> double feature today. We watched The Sword in the Rose. And The Living Desert. Yep. And like a lot of people, we have more time at home to prepare these for you so we're gonna try and do as many as we can we're gonna get through a few also yeah we've kind of entered another interesting point in disney film history with uh let's say we're it's a, it's a less iconic era that we're back in again so right now we're in 1953 both of these films were produced and released in 1953 and we're kind of entering an era of disney where there's a lot of different stuff happening there was some experimenting going on. TV has become a thing, so they've already kind of started experimenting with releasing features and then chopping them up and putting them on television. And the other thing is they've been experimenting with nature films, as we'll discuss on this episode and many, many more to come because there's a lot of them. That didn't stop being a thing, yeah. And so what they did was they created a series of, of short films, which we'll discuss in a little more detail, but then a bunch of features. And so for the purposes of this podcast, we've been doing only feature films in order. As we come into the 50s and 60s, though, a lot of these features were actually television movies. So we're going to get into a lot of really weird movies that didn't even make it to theaters, but they still count as Disney feature films. So we're going to include them in the podcast. Yeah, we're still we, were, we had a bit of a discussion the other day about what's going to count as a feature film. And what isn't, considering we're in the endless TV movie era of Disney now. Yes, but we've been going off this master list of feature films in order, so we're just going to stick to that list. Uh, it's a good list, and we're going to stick to it. Do we have to watch Shaggy Dog again? No. So okay. that's the other thing, is that when Disney <clears throat> Plus came out, all of these TV movies were released on Disney Plus, and some of them are just so funny and weird that we've watched quite a few of them. Shaggy Dog, Shaggy D.A. Golden Goose one. (laughs) Um, Absent-Minded Professor, Computer War Tennis Shoes. The other Kurt Russell ones after that that I have already forgotten the name of. Strongest Man in the World. Yeah. There was a third one, too. (laughs) Um, We'll we'll think. We'll come back to that for sure. Anyway, so we're going to start with Sword in the Rose. That's technically the next one on the list. So I'm going to go through that one, and Justin will discuss Living Desert. Sword in the Rose came out, as I said, in 1953. It is a uh, British-American production. Disney had already begun experimenting with a British uh, production studio. Um, They used it to make Treasure Island and also Robin Hood and His Merry Men, which we have discussed both of those in previous podcasts. Disney wanted to keep the production team to make another another film, and this is what he chose. Before we get into it, um, I would like to affectionately rename this film Sword in the Snooze. Disney had very high hopes for this movie. Um, Walt Disney thought this film was going to win Best Picture at the Oscars. I didn't. <laughs> It was hard to get through. It was about an hour and a half, kind of in the same vein as Robin Hood and His Merry Men. It was like a historical fiction kind of movie. 
Yeah, the book that it was based on was called uh, When Knighthood Was in... No, When Chivalry Was in Flower? When Knighthood, when knighthood Was, was, in, was flower. in Flower. Uh, obviously, they changed it to Sword in the Rose to try and make it sound more exciting. There's very little sorting or rosing that goes on in this movie. I don't think there's any sorting. There's, there's one very brief... The end? And kind of dark fight scene at the end on a beach. And there's no roses. The biggest thing that happens in this movie, it's you guys... A- is that this charming guy convinces a princess to do a dance where he lifts her up in the air and it's very controversial (laughs) (laughs) and the scene goes on for like 20 minutes so they really milk the the jumping dancing (laughs) scene yeah anyway i'm getting ahead of myself so okay so sword in the rose was based on the novel as you said when knighthood was in flower that was written in 1898 it was actually already made into two movies, once in 1908 and again in 1922. And it was called When Knighthood Was a Flower in both of those movies. And it was planned to be called that for this, but they changed the name right after they released it. So, uh, as I said, they were experimenting, experimenting with TV. So, because this film was not a great box office uh, success, spoiler... It was actually broadcast on TV in two parts under the original book title. So they went back to when Knighthood was in flower. um, And it became kind of more of a TV movie in the 50s. So basically, as I mentioned, at the end of 1948, there was a bunch of money that Walt Disney had stranded in foreign countries, including the UK. It was like about $9 million. So that's why Disney created the studio in Britain and called it Walt Disney British Films Limited, or Walt Disney British Productions. And it was association with RKO, who had been distributing all the films up to this point. You see the RKO logo and banner on every single Disney movie up to this point, because they didn't have their own distribution, right? Yeah. So, basically, Robin Hood and his Merry Men, which we already discussed, was so popular that he just wanted to keep it going. And since he had this money, this movie got made. Yeah, like we said, yeah, he did this to basically use up money that he couldn't use at home um, and gave a lot more freedom to the British team uh, and just kind of gave occasional input. So he figured, well, it seems to be going okay. Let's just let it ride and they'll just keep doing their thing. Didn't work out so well after the first two movies no and they still made another one after this that wasn't a success either but nevertheless uh, it exists so just to give you a quick plot uh the movie tells the story of mary tudor uh, and her troubled path to true love so she was the sister of henry the eighth correct who was the king of england and for political reasons he was determined to wed her to the king of france She falls in love with this guy who's like a lord and tries to flee America with him. No, he wasn't even a lord. He was just... Just a common guy. He was just a passerby. (laughs) At the beginning of the movie, they have a a dueling sequence and this guy shows up and wins the duel against the Duke of Buckingham and that's how she comes to fall in love with him. So anyway, she tries to um, leave for America with uh, this common guy that she likes and she actually dresses up on, as a man on the boat, which is one of the best parts of the whole movie. Of course, everyone knows it's bad luck to have a woman on a vessel. So when they catch her, they immediately kick her off. Uh, she eventually does consent to marry the king of France. So Henry agrees that if she marries the king, she can choose her second husband because the king is already kind of old. 
and I think everybody knows. Yeah, he's basically die. everyone knew he was going to die. So she, so the deal was, if you marry this guy, when he eventually dies, I won't tell you who the next person you marry is. And that's the whole plot of the movie. Basically, I mean that that statement is the whole plot of the movie because uh, the King of France does die. She gets kidnapped by the Duke of Buckingham, who is basically just a dude that she friend zones at the beginning of the movie. He's the one that duels the commoner and loses. And he's like, I love you. And she's like, let's be friends. <laughs> so Duke of Buckingham is super jelly this whole time that she's with this other guy. And he is determined to ruin him. So... Duke of Buckingham is trying to force Mary to marry to marry him, but she is eventually rescued by her love in, ex- in an exciting battle on a beach. The end. And they get married, and Henry VIII is like... They get married, they get okay. their money back from France. Yep. They make him a lord. It it's all fine. Out. Yep. Classic love triangle. Um, so yeah, it was a considered a total box office failure in the U.S., but surprisingly, it did well in other foreign markets, and I think that's why they, I don't know, kept putting it on TV. It was on TV a lot. Yeah. Well, it didn't cost them anything to put it on TV. And also, there wasn't a lot of programming at the time. True. There was like two TV studios. <laughs> and it's very PG. There's nothing even remotely scandalous like that's that dancing scene that i was mentioning they're still wearing about 25 petticoats you don't see anything yeah um the problem with this movie there's a few problems with this movie but one of it is that essentially the entire film is just people very politely and respectfully flirting with each other in a very g-rated way until finally something happens in the last 15 minutes yeah agree like in the beginning they kind of set it up then nothing happens then everything happens at the end yeah the beginning's like oh she flirts with everyone we don't really care as long as she still marries the king of france (laughs) she's still gonna marry the king of france we still don't really care yeah so mary tudor was played by glennis johns who is iconic american actress you probably would recognize her as Winifred Banks from Mary Poppins. She sings the suffragette song. She was known for her very distinct, breathy, husky voice. When you hear it, it's just, you can't forget it. And she was also nicknamed the girl with the upside down eyes. Apparently that was a compliment. That's a good thing? Yeah. Okay. When you search her on IMDb, it just says trademark, sparkling eyes. <clears throat> Um, I know her from Court Jester, which was a movie I grew up on and isn't Disney, so we don't get to talk about it on this podcast. Well, fun fact, she's still alive. She's 96 years old. Following the death of Zsa Zsa Gabor in 2016, she became the oldest surviving original Batman series guest villain cast member. That's a very specific nomination. Yep. But you know what? But Sword sure. in the Rose. Take it. <laughs> Um, yeah, so she's been in literally everything you can think of. I remembered her from the movie Superstar, stall- starring Molly Shannon from SNL. She played, like, the grandmother, I think. I skipped that one. Don't look at me. Anyway, she's been she's been in <clears throat> tons and tons of stuff. Give her a Google. She, I think she was actually quite beautiful and distinct. And she still is, because she's still alive. She was named a Disney legend in 1998. Aside from that, there wasn't really anybody... 
super iconic in the world of Disney that starred in this film. There was a lot of just like bit part British and Irish actors. However, Michael Go played the Duke of Buckingham, and you may know him as Alfred from all the Tim Burton and Schumacher Batman movies. I did not recognize him when we were watching this film because he has a big pointy beard and he's very young. I wouldn't recognize him without the Alfred uniform. <laughs> he so. needs the little glasses and the tuxedo. Yeah, I mean, that was iconic. Iconic yeah. role. He's He will be Alfred forever. Yeah, agree. So basically, I gave Sword in the Rose one out of five churros. I'll give it... I'll give it somewhere close to two. It tried to do interesting things with historical accuracy the problem is it was historically accurate about the most boring parts of history and then was historically inaccurate in anything that was relevant to the story so no one cares (laughs) except people like me who kind of pick up on it but I still don't really care there was a bunch of historical inaccuracies listed when I searched this movie but nobody cares what they are I doubt anybody listening to this is actually going to watch the movie. (laughs) What I will say is, compared to a lot of other movies at this time, they did try to get the costumes kind of accurate. Yeah, the costumes Um, were good. They didn't try... A lot of the times with with these period films from, like, the... Especially the 40s and 50s, is they would try and take period costumes but make them look more flattering in, like, a more modern way. Mm -hmm. Whereas this film, at least, still had the ridiculously puffy sleeves oh, yeah. and and the less flattering Tudor era costume stuff. And the guy that played Henry VIII looks exactly like Henry VIII. He's pretty good Henry VIII. In every painting you see, it's like, it's dead on. It's crazy. But that doesn't make the movie any more fun to watch. No, I felt like they were trying really hard to make it like super colorful and like joyful, but there's hardly any music in it. Even the song that they danced to is not memorable. Well, no. <laughs> but you know what? It's I catchy mean, tunes from 1500. It's really interesting because going into recording this podcast, I thought that every Disney movie was going to be good. That. <laughs> I thought everything was going to be iconic and what we remembered and like have nostalgia, but there's so many misses. I would say Disney is a master of, I forget the term, when you kind of change people's memories of things enough that they start to forget about the things that weren't so successful and well, just remember what you want them to remember. That, that was his whole deal. Like when he got obsessed with trains and built Disneyland and was like, I'm going to make Main Street USA. Yeah, it's selective nostalgia. Exactly. It's not even selective nostalgia. It's like rewriting history to make it seem more idealized. I feel like there's a term for that. Yeah, it's not coming to me right now, but I know there is. Like, he said that he was recreating his hometown of Marceline, Missouri, but it looked nothing like records of his hometown. He also only actually lived in Marceline for like two years. True. (laughs) But anyway, yeah, like looking back on these, especially like the forgotten ones, nobody talks about the sword and the rose. No. Nobody even really talks about Treasure Island or Robin Hood. The Robin Hood that's remembered is the animated version. For Disney, yeah. Unless you're, I don't know, like 
like a crazy film buff or something. It was hard to find a copy of this movie to even watch. It's not on Disney Plus, by the way. No, uh, neither was Sword in the Rose, although no, the, the nature the, ones are. Sword in the Rose is not on Living Desert and the the True Adventure documentaries are on Disney Plus. Sword in the Rose is not. It was really hard to find. I couldn't rent it anywhere. Um, I don't even know how I found it in the end. It was really difficult. Um, that's always so frustrating with these things because it's like we're willing to pay to rent things and we can't even find them to give people our money that part kind of sucks anyway so that's sword in the rose i think it's time to move on um what did you give it how many churros maybe two two it's two two for effort really two for glennis johns really (laughs) okay uh so let's move on to living desert okay uh so yeah living desert was the first of uh, the True Life Adventures series, which was which is Disney getting into nature documentaries for the first time. Um, the series would eventually have 14 films, end up getting a total of eight Academy Awards. Uh, it was adapted into a comic strips. Um, and then, of course, much later, Disney still kept the whole nature documentary thing going in 2007, rebranding as Disney Nature. So this was the beginning of something that they never, never really walked away from. No, and I think it started with Walt just wanting to spend more time with his girls. Yeah, and he had just seen a bunch of uh, uh, nature photographers' footage of things and was like, hey, I can make kind of a story out of this. Well, you know, before you get into it, we were talking about when we watched The Living Desert, which was delightful, by the way, like a totally different stream of what Disney was trying to do, but so much better and so much simpler. Still definitely Disney, though. What's interesting, though, is when we talked about the wartime period when they had no money, they went to South America, spent a ton of money learning how to animate, and then made all those crappy wartime animated... um, What do they call those when they put a bunch of stuff together? Like the portmanteau? Yeah. Yeah. But, like, looking back on it, this is such a cheap, easy thing to produce. It would have taken way less time. Why didn't they just do stuff like this then? I don't think nature documentaries weren't what they are now. Like no. it wasn't something you thought about as a as a potential award or money maker. And possibly, I guess, because TV was a thing, they yeah. thought they could just throw it on as TV programming. Yeah, selling time. it as a feature in theaters is a harder harder sell. Okay, go on. Anyway. So, this, as we were uh, talking about how uh, the last one was still released through RKO Pictures, which Disney had a troubled relationship with. Uh, So, for this film, they severed the ties with RKO, and he uh, founded Buena Vista Entertainment, which is still around? I don't know. I remember it still being a thing in the 90s. I don't think I am not sure if it's still a thing now. I don't think they, I'm going to check, but I don't know if they use Buena Vista anymore. Regardless, it was uh, Disney not working with another studio to produce his things anymore and trying to do it himself. Uh, It did win an Academy Award for Best Documentary Feature, uh, which actually gave him the most Academy wins for one year at the time of anyone before him, because they also won short animated film, short documentary, and short subject reel. I don't think that last category exists anymore. (laughs) This short documentary was um, Seal Island, I believe. 
which I is think. another um, um no the short documentary was something about the inuit i oh, think okay and the animated one i forget nice regardless you also got a lot wait of sorry just to just to clarify um buena vista doesn't exist anymore okay but it did for a long time they just kind of shuffled stuff around. Go on. <laughs> anyway, the purpose of this film was a demonstration of the ecosystem in the American Southwest. Uh, it was shot in Arizona. It was shot in Arizona, but it talked about Death Valley. Well, it Is talked Death about Valley that in Arizona. Area. I was picturing like Vegas. I don't live in America. <laughs> We're trying to inform the um, people, though. I think I was just reading it was near Tucson, but anyway. Okay. Um, so yeah, it's just shows you the animals that survive in the desert of the great Southwest United States and some mud that bubbles musically. There's some very Fantasia moments of them setting orchestral music to mud bubbling. So try to picture like a David Attenborough, but mixed with Fantasia. That's what this is. All the animal encounters and even like, yeah, the moving of mud is orchestrated to music. Of course it is. Um, and they create, you know, like funny, dramatic storylines around, a, you know, a spider and a beetle. <laughs> yeah, I will say there was some criticism at the time and I have to agree still watching it. A lot of it is very carefully edited, if not very staged oh a hundred percent because disney was disney he still wanted to tell a cute story about everything Mm -hmm. and the footage the way they use it and the way that they have clearly shot things they wanted to shoot is still in that very disney vein of i want to shoot cute stories about animals and make them kind of people yeah like they give nicknames to things like one of the kangaroo rats they named skinny as a chipmunk but, or whatever. squirrel whatever whatever one um, of those rodents playing like, the the slow dance or the square dance hoedown for oh, the scorpion scorpions. mating dance yep and there was a very dramatic story about some turtles that got in a fight over a lady turtle and one turtle got flipped over and it really looked like that was the end for him but he didn't he got it's he okay. got himself back he got reflipped sorry guys spoiler i'm sure no one helped him <laughs> um yeah, apparently most of this came from Disney seeing the footage of uh, the wasp. I forget the kind of wasp. The tarantula killing wasp mm-hmm. whose whole life cycle is finding a tarantula, paralyzing it, and laying an egg in it so that the young can grow inside the paralyzed tarantula. That and was the most interesting thing about the whole podcast because I said to you, I was like, so this particular the wasp, the whole <laughs> the whole." <laughs> movie this particular wasp cannot survive without a tarantula yeah its job is to go out and pick a fight with a tarantula and win so that its babies can eat the tarantula when it wakes up if they can't find a tarantula do they still lay eggs i'm gonna say no so their whole the species entire survival i mean maybe if there's something else roughly that size but i think they're like they're called something about tarantula in their name because that's that's their job <laughs> is to go pick fights with tarantulas we were one thinking. job <laughs> it was a wasp right it's yeah. just called tarantula wasp 
Nope, yeah. tarantula hawk. Tarantula hawk. That's Spider why I was wasp. confused because it's not actually a hawk. You know what we were thinking when we were watching this too is like, this is over fifty years old. Is do you think some of these things have become extinct or some of this information has now been proven wrong? It doesn't matter. There it's wasn't still a fun. lot of information to be wrong because so much of it is just kind of like, look how these animals interact with each other when we deliberately put them in the same room together. Crazy. I'm just trying to figure out if this wasp can actually survive without a tarantula, but I don't think it can. I mean, they don't call it the tarantula hawk because it will make do with other things. That's cray. You got anything else? Uh, Yes. Japan loved this movie. Really? In Japan, it outgrossed Gone with the Wind. What? What? It made $800,000 in Japan. What? Do you think that's because like distribution was stronger, or they just like this? I think it's a bit of the market, a bit of the distribution. Japan's pretty big on cute animals. Also, it's like totally different animals than they would be exposed yeah, to. really easy to translate because you just change the narration. Yeah. Pretty across the board, anybody can get down with, you know, yeah. watching some scorpions fight. Who does that not appeal to? No one. <laughs> yeah, so the Disney nature films, which this was rebranded to, I just wanted to mention. So those are the ones that come out every day on Earth Day, right? So they've done, like, pandas and monkeys and all kinds of stuff. So it's it's a vein of Disney that has never gone away and has always been successful. Yeah, because believe it or not, people like identifying with cute animals <laughs> yes some more than didn't others. know if you knew that <laughs> some more than others indeed um what do you give this churros wise just out of curiosity considering it was kind of groundbreaking at least a new direction for disney i'll give it a solid 3.75 what are we going out of five i was gonna say four yeah it was good a for border, what it was. A bordering on a four, yeah. Like, you can't really rank it the same as Peter Pan. Well, no. Or Pinocchio. By the way, going back to Sword in the Rose, I was reading some stuff about critical reception, and apparently Leonard Malton, who, I mean, do we mm. trust his opinion? Mm. He thought that this movie was just as historically significant as Pinocchio. Sometimes he just says things. <laughs> he just says things, right? Like, what does as that even mean? As far as I can tell. I, also, does that imply that Pinocchio was a real story? I think he was also kind of implying because it did not do well in the States, but kind oh, of did well in other places. I guess so. But Pinocchio wasn't a real story. <laughs> this was a historical thing, right? I mean, yeah. Uh, kind of. But I mean, it was... Uh, yeah. No. <laughs> it was based on a book that used the names of people who existed. Mm-hmm. We'll say that. Also, the headquarters for Disney Nature is Paris, France. Sure. Seems random. The latest Disney Nature film that was released for Earth Day was about penguins. Hmm. Last year. I actually don't know what it's going to be this year. <laughs> or it's probably not going to come out. Earth Day's in April, so. Yeah, remember how we were going to go to Paris in a couple of weeks and now we're not? Yeah. I didn't want to talk about it too much on the podcast. That's all I'm saying. But we were going to Disneyland uh, Paris in May. That was our plan. That plan has since changed. We are now staying in our house forever. 
Yay. No, but one day we'll get there. And it'll be great. Eventually. But for now, we just got to watch those videos of people creating janky Disney rides in their house. <laughs> Which is kind of hilarious. <laughs> I feel like we should, like, put a link to those. I will. If you guys... this episode. If, if you go to Facebook on the wonderful world of foodies group which is again our disneyland uh, uh foodie group basically <laughs> people that like food at disneyland that's all it is they posted a bunch of them there's one for splash mountain there's one for soaring over california and pirates we just watched a pirates one it's just people like yeah recreating the ride with what they have in their house and it's so funny <laughs> um yeah this is a short podcast <laughs> But there's not much there else to say. They were short movies. Could and you the imagine first one was very boring. If we tried to stretch out Sword in the Rose by itself, like yeah, I was like halfway through Sword in the Rose, I was like, we need to watch another movie before we record because I cannot talk about this movie the whole time. We're probably gonna do the same thing with the next two because the next nice sets. It had good sets. Yep, colors, colors, movement. Yeah, Glennis Johns was really the best part of the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Anyway, the next two are Rob Roy, which is another British the historical movie. Exact same cast as Sword in the Rose again. Yep. And then we have The Vanishing Prairie, which is another true life adventure movie. So... Buffaloes. The poster has buffaloes, so I assume we're going to see some buffaloes. I believe after that, we're into 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, though. <laughs> which we've both seen and enjoy. So maybe we'll do three in one next time because we need to just get through some of these. Maybe. I feel like I can talk about 20,000 Leagues a lot, but we'll see. We'll see. But, like, how how much can we discuss The Vanishing Prairie? Probably not that much. What do you think that's going to be about, by the way? I don't know. I figure it's going to be like The Living Desert, but with more of a, hey, we're destroying this feel. Because even in the 50s, they were already... Have you seen Rob Roy? No. I mean, I've seen the Liam Neeson, Tim Roth, Jessica Lange, Rob Roy. Oh. Very different movie, I'm assuming. I don't know. I don't know who Rob Roy was. He was Scottish. And? He's a Scottish (laughs) folk hero figure of divisive historical realism. Scottish Robin Hood? People who like him would would say, yeah, kind of. Okay. But, you know, history is is like history. Sure. I mean, I don't know. The Disney one, the Liam Neeson one has some really great fight scenes. Some of my favorite fight scenes. All right. Well, do you want to talk about anything else Disney while we're going? Bob Iger is no longer the president of the Walt Disney Company. Bob Iger stepped down, which I feel like there wasn't a lot of talk about that. It just kind of happened. Well, he'd been in the position for a while. And Bob Chapek, we're just switching a Bob for a Bob, basically. Bob Chapek is the new president. Which has caused a little bit of controversy in the Disney community, mostly because people don't like that he claps at his own speeches. That's a little weird. He was the head of Disney Parks, so... I don't know anything about him. Rise of the Resistance opened, and we haven't had a chance to go on it yet. Yep, and Avengers Campus is still slated to be opened in July. They have tortured us by releasing the food. (laughs) Like, I don't know what they're trying to do to me. But uh, no, they're, they're, I read a whole thing. They actually announced what all the rides are going to be and how they're going to work. And for Avengers Campus, yeah, do tell. Spider-Man stunt show. Uh, well, Spider-Man's going to be like an interactive 
3D dark ride game. Okay. So I think kind of like Buzz Lightyear. I was going to say, like, akin to Buzz. 100. Yeah. Uh, there's going to be a Doctor Strange character slash magic teaching. Ooh. Oh, wow. I got way Academy. too excited about that. Um, I love a magic show. They need to do that. There's a third thing, too. I sent you an article that where they, but they just. I focused on the food. I don't know. <laughs> I look at anything. I just else. want those tiny Ant Man burgers. <laughs> There's been so many jokes about the tiny Ant Man burgers, like just like microscopic burgers for fifteen bucks. Like <laughs> accurate. Honestly, probably um, microbrewery though. Yes, proving that my theory from like four years ago, two and a half years ago, is right that an animatronic. Aerial Spider-Man will be shot through the air above the Spider-Man ride like every half an hour. Well, we, yeah, you you did have that theory yeah. a long time they, ago. Because of some footage leaked of them testing throwing robots in the air, and I'm like, they're going to make that a Avengers thing. I was too busy was watching right. the parking structure construction. Yes. How many times you can watch <laughs> Adam the Woo and was the other the other couple that hangs out with him a lot? Oh, Best Life yeah. and Beyond? <laughs> Those three come out of that same parking also, structure. No, fresh, fresh Baked was like okay. on the parking structure. Fresh Baked was there like almost every day. Also, Fresh Baked had the best um, Galaxy's Edge just like zooming in. On the construction? <laughs> it was awesome. As someone who has never parked a car at Disneyland, I have no attachment to parking listen here's the thing everybody's at home and they're like i'm so bored like oh i'm recreating splash mountain i'm like you're not a true fan (laughs) you're a true fan and a crazy person if you've never parked at the mickey what 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 are you even talking about right now (laughs) i'm saying that when i could have been going out into the world i was watching the construction of a parking structure at disneyland every single day you're trying to justify not leaving the house by choice yeah i was saying like we watch ride throughs of disney park rides all the time i usually listen to them or listen yeah we we listen to pirates and haunted mansion like so i get through really bad days at work yeah like right before this happened we're like let's listen to that before bed so if you guys are interested and you don't have a lot to do there's if we just go on fresh baked and you can watch how the parking structure is constructed I over mean, several formerly, months it's done now that's what i'm saying it's, it's done now year. but if you want to see how it came to be you can yeah or or not the worst part about this is i can't watch avengers campus being made right now but yes that's the worst part <laughs> The Howard Johnson Hotel in Anaheim has a Matterhorn camera, which I also watch every once in a while. It's just like a couple of cameras that are set on Disneyland Park so you can see what's going on. You're looking at me like I'm insane. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, they're, they're still up. So if you feel like just seeing, you know, what's going on, which is nothing, you can check that out as well. I've also seen videos of people walking up to the gates because they're still playing music in the in the esplanade so if you feel like just going to well downtown disney is still open for now no it's closed do they just close it yeah oh. california's locked down well it was open like two days ago it's closed i don't want to go there sorry you can't go there right now i can't even go into that country right now <laughs> nope 
we gotta we gotta sort some stuff out <laughs> we gotta sort it out we gotta figure this out but in the meantime parking structure uh matterhorn cam i'm cutting you off you're done <laughs> well no i do want to mention some youtube channels that you okay. can watch just if you need a disney not pick. just cctv of buena vista boulevard it's harbor boulevard buena vista street no it's a street it's it was a street when they named that studio it's not there it's catella and harbor anyway um, if you if you want to catch up on some, I don't know, relatively recent stuff, here are some channels for you. Number one, Adam the Woo. He has a video where he rides Big Thunder Mountain several times, every single seat. He does it in one day. I think it's close to 40 times he rides it in one day. Extremely entertaining video. Okay, so that's one. Second, Best Life and Beyond. So that's Katie the Disney Bear, who is my icon. I love her. And... Spencer, who was her boyfriend, and they basically have the best life ever, best life and beyond. They like live by the beach and go to Trader Joe's and go to Disneyland all the time, and they're so jovial. And I wish we were them. So that's number two. Wonderful world of food is pretty much my favorite YouTube channel that exists. It is Mig V and Janelle. I'm sure I've talked about them on the podcast. We must have when we were talking about food they just go around taste everything new at disneyland food wise and drink wise and give reviews on it very helpful for my life when we were planning our last trip i had a whole checklist of things that i needed to eat so there's never enough time to eat everything no um what else fresh baked is good but their videos are really long um who's that guy that we watch with the girlfriend and they made (laughs) okay so lesser known channel i don't even think they have a thousand subscribers uh oh tim tracker too but disneylander is just a guy and his girlfriend but they have some really funny videos like he went to disneyland and and rated every trash can out of (laughs) 10 i love it so much that was fairly amusing and then of course tim tracker is like the number one disney vlogger he's based in florida him and his wife and now they have a baby you didn't mention offhand i'll get back to offhand tim tracker goes to disney world a ton he also goes to all the other florida area um theme parks and the cool thing about him is that he's been invited to a lot of hard hat tours so he gets to ride roller coasters and different attractions before everybody else and check out how they're being made so that's really cool and offhand is another Offhand Disney is another lesser known channel, but one of our favorites. It's because he agrees with me on Haunted Mansion and everything. He's got a lot of uh, theories about Jean Lafitte. <laughs> and he talks about all kinds of different stuff, um, but doesn't go to the parks as much. So it's more just like top 10 Disney smells, <laughs> that kind of thing. Um, so now you guys know how crazy I am. And I think. I think that's it for channels. Should we wrap it up? That's just, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, if you stuck with it this long, thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next time, hopefully much sooner than previous podcasts. And we're going to be discussing Rob Roy. And the prairies. The vanishing prairies and maybe something else. Okay. 
So we love you and goodbye.